Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no question a lot is at stake in this year's election at all levels of government. We here at the Topeka Capital Journal are doing our part to share the perspectives of those running for elected positions in Kansas. My name is India Yarbrough, and I'm a reporter for the Capital Journal. Over the next few weeks, leading up to the November 3rd general election, our reporters will be interviewing candidates running for local, state, and national offices. We'll be asking them questions about their platforms and priorities and having conversations about what this year's election means to Kansans. We hope you enjoy listening to our Election 2020 podcast series. Capital Journal's 2020 election podcast, um, where we sit down with candidates who are running for office, trying to represent Topeka on the local level, state level, and federal level. My name is Tai Zhu. I'm a state government reporter with the Topeka Capital Journal. And today we have here with me Crystal Shia. She is running for Kansas Senate District 18. She is the Republican running against her Democratic opponent, Tobias S. Uh, Kristen, awesome having you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Awesome. Um, so, you know, I guess I just kind of want to start off the conversation, uh, kind of, you know, the, the perception of a lot of people, um, uh, when you think of, you know, these state legislators, state politicians, is that, you know, they're kind of shady figures, you know, <laughs> up, up there in the Capitol, maybe, you know, right. maybe, you know, taking money, like not the right way or, you know, promoting sure. policies that aren't, they basically seem kind of out of touch. So, you know, I kind of just want to start off, you know, who are you, you know? As a, as, as, a, as a Topekan, as a Kansan, like, you know, who are you as, I guess, normal human being? Yeah. You know, it's funny. We, we ended up putting my picture on my uh, campaign signs, and it's I think it's humanized the process. When you knock on someone's door, they go, oh, I've seen you. It's like, yeah, uh, we are human beings. Um, so I'm a resident of North Topeka. I'm married to my husband, Gabriel. We have two cats. And I'm a small business owner, so I do training and development consulting, executive coaching, and keynote speaking for companies, working on employee engagement, strengths in the workplace, psychology in the workplace. I've loved owning my own business. That's been a really, really great process for me. But prior to that, I was really involved in the Topeka community through Heartland Visioning and the Topeka Chamber. And that was a great experience getting to work on a lot of collaborative projects with leaders in the community and lots of different voices. Um, Previous to that, I worked at Leading Age Kansas representing aging services and our seniors here in Kansas. Okay, okay. Do you think that kind of, you know, community involvement will help you prepare for state office? Yeah, definitely. We had to work with lots of differing opinions and bring disparate voices together to ultimately collaborate and find out where they could have common ground. So anytime you're working in these scenarios, you're going to have to cooperate and collaborate and and help people know that they're heard and that you're going to move forward listening to all the different voices. Also, those jobs, um, the one at the chamber was partly public funded and partly private funded. And so being a really good steward of tax dollars and building trust among a lot of different stakeholders is important. And I think I've been able to prove 
my credibility that I can do that. Okay. So, um, you know, you know, I, I guess just for our listeners, you know, have you run for office before? Yeah, no. Mm-mm. So why did you, you know, say this time? I'm, right. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, say bye-bye to my common life, you know, oh, my normal person life <laughs> and, you know, put myself out there and run for state politics. Yeah. So like I said, being a small business owner has been incredibly rewarding and I've been become really involved in networks of other small business owners, other entrepreneurs, uh, a, a group of women entrepreneurs and, uh, the way COVID has shaken the small business group has just been shocking and heartbreaking to me. And so around the same time, someone mentioned to me that I should think about running. And um, one thing led to another. But having been always involved in the community and leadership, um, that part's not foreign to me. I've just always stayed silent about politics because, like you said, yuck, right? (laughs) So, um, but, you know, if we don't get, if we don't have good leaders, good community leaders who are in touch with people and their everyday lives running, um, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. So it's one of those situations where I know, I know I can make a difference for people. I know I can represent them well. I do intend to keep my small business running. However, as you can imagine, it's been a lot slower this season due to the COVID shutdown. Um, but I fully intend to still be that normal person, but representing people at this level as well. I see. I see. Uh, I guess, can you, do you mind just personally talking about, you know, your, your, your business and how it's been affected by COVID? Yeah. So I do training and development for companies. And so oftentimes they'll have maybe human resources, but not a training and development or organizational development person. So I, I keynote at a lot of big conferences. Those haven't been happening. I have done one virtual keynote, which was a good experience. And then training programs are often something that is available when a company has extra money in their budget. And so obviously so many companies and my main clients have been small businesses have been um, hurt by this. And they're telling me, you know, Kristen, in my 30 years here, I've never had to think about not having enough work for someone. Uh, So that's just been, it's been heartbreaking to watch for my clients, but then also to see the momentum that it takes to build up um, I'm in year three, year three of my business, right? It takes a lot of momentum and time and effort. And that pipeline just drained like that. So, you know, even if you have the money back, you're losing the forward momentum of your business carrying you forward. Mm-hmm. So, you know, staying on these lines of, of COVID, which is, you know, probably the biggest issue now, this election, right. you know, and it's, it's affected many people's lives, you know, and not the right way. Um, what well, what would be your kind of first, you know, issue you want you want to tackle when you're in office regarding this virus? Yeah, I would like to see us continue to reopen safely. So um, let's continue to let businesses open. Let's um, let's lessen the fear so that people feel free to go out. Um, I'd like to see, you know, if businesses are following CDC guidelines, let's make sure that there are not liabilities for them so that they can feel comfortable opening and um, also that their clients can can come in and, and know that they're okay they're following CDC guidelines um, and aren't going to get sued if you know someone were to contract the virus 
Um, so I'd like to see that. I'd like to see the fear lesson. I'd like to see schools reopen fully um, with having options for those who are at higher risk. I think that's important to have options, but fully opening so that people can work, people can be around their peers and uh, doing the healthy things that holistically keep us healthy moving forward. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Um, you know, during this COVID situation, there's, you know, been kind of a a kind of debate between, you know, I guess, and it's not, you know, I don't think it really should be a debate, but it, it there's, there's kind of been back and forth between, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, you know, keeping the economy running, you know, keep having people still going to work and then versus, you know, keeping people safe mm-hmm. and everything. So I'm just wondering, you know, I mean, 2020 has been crazy. I don't know how crazier it could get you know it could keep on getting crazier <laughs> who knows but um if if suppose you know in the, in the situation that the virus you know does get worse maybe i don't know something new about the virus is discovered and mm-hmm. you know and scientists are calling okay you know what we have to kind of you know lock down um you know go back to that in order to even recover um would you support that mm-hmm. you know i think staying on top of whatever's coming out is important and we've been able to do that through testing we know a lot more now at first yeah, it was like we don't know what we're dealing with. We've got to we've got to be extra cautious. I think moving forward, though, we ha- we know so much more. We need to continue to learn more so that we can continue to open more carefully. I don't think another shutdown would be required. I think uh, businesses have learned how to be as safe as possible, and we can trust clients and patrons who who are out and about in society to also be safe and and cautious about their neighbors. Mm-hmm. You know, on the topic of businesses, you know, um, you know, Republicans, you know, have, you know, uh, have tried, you know, really hard to ensure that, um, you know, businesses cannot be closed down again. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you support that? Yeah, I do. I, you know, it's it's interesting uh, as a small business owner. I've learned a lot. You learn a lot about how finances work and how how it how that process is. So when I look at second quarter, my business didn't make enough money to pay taxes. Well, when my business doesn't pay taxes, the state budget goes down, right? And so it's a cycle. And I think we realize how important it is that not only I need to make money to be able to feed my family, but I need to make money so that it it can go into the state fund so that we can have schools and have hospi- have good hospitals and have transportation. Those things are important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, how about for, you know, you know, businesses, you know, for instance, you know, it's been bought off, you know, how, how, how a lot of bars, you know, mm-hmm. don't really follow the guidelines really strictly and kind of, you know, don't really enforce any kind of proper social distancing or, or even masks. Um, do you think businesses like that that don't follow the guidelines that they should, you know, maybe if not close down, be re- reprimanded in some form? Well, I think so. I can't speak too too closely to that because that's somewhat outside of my industry and I don't know anyone who has a bar but I think um, them taking taking the steps to educate right I think that's the biggest thing I, I do actually know of a venue owner who they do weddings and so they have a bar area and she was able to um, some new guidelines came out and this was actually at a county level and she was able to get on the phone with the county commissioners and the mayor and explain how our business worked and explain the process and through the conversation they found a cooperate a cooperative stance that everyone was happy with and they thought it would be a healthy way to move forward so to me let's keep having those conversations that's going to be the best way to to get through it when when we're maybe in fear that things are being taken as seriously. 
you know, another another debate you know, on the lines of you know kind of this you know safety keep, keeping business open, but you know it's, it's growing masks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, you know, Governor Kelly, you know, you know, had a you know statewide order saying you know people should wear masks. Uh, you know, public are like, no, we're gonna have gonna give counties an option to opt out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, regarding masks, do you think? I guess where, where do you find that? Do you do you support more local control over you know you know in terms mm-hmm. of who gets to opt out or not, or do you think everybody throughout the state should have to? wear a mask? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it depends on when that question's being asked, right? We know a lot more about masks now than we than we did a couple months ago. So that's important. But ultimately, I do think local control is going to be the best way to move forward with that. We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And so I look at my district includes Shawnee County, which we're in in Topeka, but it also includes Wabunsee County. And that has Maple Pill and Paxico and real small towns. Some of the counties have had less than 50 cases. So allowing our local leaders to um, trusting them to make those decisions for their constituents, uh, to me, is the best the best way to go. Mm-hmm. And you, I know you support full school reopenings, right? Yeah. And I'm assuming part of that reason is so that, you know, these working parents can actually go and work, right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's that's one thing. I would say my other thing is I think for students, um, for students it's so important that they're around their peers. They're learning just as much from being around one another and their extracurricular activities. And so thinking about their health, not only their physical health, but their social health, mental, emotional, spiritual, all of that, the holistic well-being of the student is very important. I guess what would you, you know, say to maybe a teacher who's kind of afraid to go back, to, you know, to a full in-person school, yeah. you know, afraid he's gonna, she's might, she might catch the virus in, 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 you know, if schools like just fully reopen. Right. Well, I would definitely want to understand where their biggest concerns are and what their situation is. Again, if there's someone who's at higher risk, let's have a conversation. What can we do to? Um, make this a better scenario because there's also going to be some students in that case too. And so I think this is, this is the exciting part where we get to be creative and innovative and we have to think outside the box and be agile, right? How do we meet the needs of those around us and have those hard conversations, right? If one size doesn't fit all, it's the same way. It's going to be the same way for teachers and students. So, um, that's exciting. I know it's not always as easy to be that innovative as what I'm making it sound, but I think having those conversations, would be a start. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the current state's response to, to, to this pandemic, you know, what, what grade would you give it? <laughs> what grade would I give it? Oh, well, I don't envy anyone who's had to make these crazy decisions during a time that's just unprecedented. I think we've learned a lot. I think we've learned how much schools provide social services, right, as well as education. We have learned that a one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work. Um, We've learned that we've got to treat businesses the same, whether it's a small business or big business. So, and from what I can tell, we've we've been learning, and we're trying to do better all the time, and that's that's what matters. And um, continuing to educate ourselves on masks and testing and being around people, um, so that's the important part. And I think I think Kansas has been working to do that. Okay. You know, along the topics of you know COVID nineteen and health, um, you know, there's obviously the, I think one of the bigger issues that will come up next session is the idea of uh, Medicaid expansion. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Democrats, for the most part, they're, they're for mm-hmm. uh, Republicans, you know, 
I've met some Republicans who are for it and you some Republicans who are not for it. Right. So, um, where, do you, where do you fall on that? Yeah, I've been studying that one all summer because, to be honest, coming in, I knew it was going to be a hot topic. And I've talked to individuals on both sides. Um, based on my research, based on what I've looked at, from what I can tell, um, you know, the federal government has put has dealt us these cards, if you will. So we have these cards dealt to us. And it's not an ideal hand, but it's the hand that we have to play with. And so for me, I'd be for expanding. I really, when I look at it, I see, for example, Senate Bill 252. It's a very fiscally responsible way to go about expansion. And so I would support a bipartisan solution such as that. You know, what do you say to some of, you know, your, you know, your Republican colleagues who, who, you know, might call this or might criticize this as a, as a, as a handout? Yeah, I ask questions. I say, tell me more. Tell me, tell me why that's the case. And for me, that's been really interesting to learn. And I don't know that I've had anyone say that to me. So I don't know that it would be called a handout. I think it's, um, you know, it's a scenario where we've got a system that's not working the best. And we've got this federal solution through expansion that's also not the best solution. And so to me, it's not the only thing. There's a lot that needs to be done to make healthcare more affordable, make healthcare more accessible. Um, and this is not the only thing that needs to be done. And so I also ask about what are ideas for other solutions um, on top of expansion. Okay. Okay. Um. Another impact of COVID uh, is kind of, you know, and it's, I know this will also be a big topic next session, is um, its impact on kind of the state's uh, financial, you know, yeah. revenue. You know, obviously with the you know, tax filing deadline, but also just, you know, because, you know, there's less business than usual with result of this pandemic, you know, um, there's been less revenue for the state. And I mean, also, it's, it's also still long-term effects from, you know, the Brownback era tax cuts and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is the best way to get money flowing into the state again? Yeah, that's been a question I've gotten a lot. And I, so I think there's a number of different things. One revenue, um, projections are actually rather high, which is interesting to me. And so I have to remember, you know, while some businesses have not done well, others have, and, um, people have been able to spend, spend dollars in the state since there's not as much traveling, things like that. So, that's a positive note. Um, I also think you know we'll, we're, we will need to look at a, a combination of of um, budget cuts. Um, what what can we do without? What can we become more agile and innovative in? But also, um, how might we be able to increase some revenue uh, in other areas? I guess you mean to say you know, budget cuts. Um, you know, if you know to a voter, you know who's concerned about you know maybe certain programs. I guess what are what, what what programs or what, you know, I guess, you know, parts are you maybe looking at? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. And that's where I need to learn more about each of the different categories, what's going on. Um, but I do know there's also, so when we look at some of the federal aid and things that are coming in, there are programs that can be more effective than others when we look at what does our state need most right now. So there's some... Um, States like Indiana and Ohio have had some luck in looking at what are our biggest industries in our state and how, if some people are unemployed, how can we train them in those jobs so that they can go back and get not only a job back, but a higher paying job. So I think um, 
again, it comes down to more efficiencies. How can the be money be used and spent in the best way to increase your return on investment, right? Kind of that business mindset is how I would approach um, the best way to maximize those tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you, when you mentioned the ways to, I guess, raise money, um, was there anything specifically you're, 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 you're referring to? I don't know if that was like, you know, I mean, I know there's been talked about medical marijuana, for instance, being used to raise revenue or, uh, you know, maybe like legalizing you know, certain sports gambling. Sports, yeah. I, those are topics too that I've been trying to research some, but I'm, I'm not sure where I come down on them yet. Um, you know, fair taxing and making sure that we're taxing things that are going on is important, but I'm not sure where I would stay on those topics. I see. Yeah. When you say fair taxing, um, can you elaborate? Yeah. Well, if there's a service, um, if I go buy a bottle of water, right, I should be taxed. And so if there's activities being going on. So I know people who do gambling on the weekends and, you know, that's uh, that wasn't being taxed. Or when I think about how Amazon, you used to be able to buy something on Amazon and not have to pay taxes. Well, now you do. And so you know, it's just kind of like evening out, like across the board, um, everyone's paying their taxes. Do you think multiple, uh, multiple revenue streams mm-hmm, too? I see. Do you think that, you know, a lot of the Democratic candidates, uh, you know, who, who I've talked to, you know, they, they think that the currently the, the current tax system is unfair and that it, you know, taxes, you know, lower income earners more, uh, you know, disproportionately. Mm-hmm. When you say for taxing, maybe, maybe are you were you also referring to that or or no? No, not so much. <laughs> and uh, that's not something that I've studied a lot of exactly how that process works. I know that property taxes are specifically high in Kansas compared to other states, and that makes it hard for. I just the other day I had someone call and say, I know a veteran who was given a house. And he had to leave because the property taxes kept increasing. And I know it's a concern of farmers, realtors. Um, so that's something I think we definitely need to look at. If someone's owned their home, they're still paying a lot of money every year on taxes. So I think that's definitely a hot topic that's going to need to be looked at. Would you say, on the other hand, you're more leaning toward cutting taxes? I would be in, more in favor of cutting taxes. I think that's a better way to stimulate the economy. Okay. Yeah, it needs to be now where they're cut and how it needs to be a delicate balance and it needs to be really strategically and carefully looked at. Okay, okay. You know, I guess moving beyond COVID, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I do want to talk about abortion. Um, and even though, you know, people are really, really extremely divided on this issue, sure. it's it's still in a topic that's, you know, that's important to, to many voters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where do you fall on abortion? Yeah, so I believe that life begins at conception. Therefore, we should protect it and not dispose of it. So, again, if, if life begins at conception, there should not be any getting rid of anything. So I'm pro-life. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the Kansas Supreme Court, you know, they, they, they ruled, you know, abortion was, was you know, constitutional. And, you know, Republicans in response... You know, they tried to put like you know, try to amend the constitution. You know, put a ballot towards mm-hmm. the voters. Buy them both mm-hmm. to to ba- basically you know say no under the Kansas constitution. You know, there would be no abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, if if that came up next session, would you vote for it? Yeah, I would. I would because I believe I believe that Kansas. You're right. It's divisive. 
But as a whole, I believe that Kansas leans pro-life. I believe my district does, and I certainly do. Um, Another big topic uh, going on this year is uh, kind of the conversation surrounding, you know, the death of George Floyd and and others, you know, uh, you know, and kind of the interactions with 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 police mm-hmm. um, and just criminal the criminal justice system overall. Um, you know, with these, you know, kind of, I guess, what what, what do you think of all these you know, pro- you know these protests that were going on nationwide? And you know, some of them are still going on now. We just recently had the you know Black Lives Matter and then also a counter rally uh, in Topeka. Like, what w- what are your views on that? Yeah, it's it's unfortunate and it's so sad to see just so much frustration and hate. I think it it definitely flags that hey, there's some things that we can get better at, and we all we need to be aware of that. And protests, I think, give a voice to that. I really love. I learned that Wichita, when these protests were first happening, the Wichita law enforcement said, "We're going to have a big picnic. We're going to have food. Come and have a conversation." So I think a conversation. Uh, with people of differing views is going to go further than than any protest will. And so I would like to see more of that happening. I, again, I think it, it lets us know, hey, okay, what can we do to reform? But I definitely would not be for defunding the police. I think we'd be in a world of hurt without our police. If there needs to be some training and development, um, since I'm in the professional development field, I understand that costs money. So if we want to defund our police, that's not going to give them more training, which um, could be the thing that, that helps find solutions. I see. You know, when, when activists use the phrase defunding the police, you know, I often feel, you know, sometimes it get misconstrued because, you know, for some people who use the word, the term defund the police, they actually do mean like, oh, we want to get rid of the police. And sure. then there are activists who, when they say defund the police, uh, they just mean we want to just take, you know, some part of the police budget away, right, and redirect it to kind of like mental health services, community services, or, you know, just addressing maybe certain police calls that don't have to be answered by the police because, you know, we're asking the police to do everything. Um, on, on the latter part, you know, when people were, when they say they defund the police, when they, when, they, when they mean that. Redirecting. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the... Again, the police, so I think about in the Topeka Shawnee County area, they work very closely with Vallejo Behavioral Health Care and the um, social workers there, and they work together. And police workers are having to learn more and more about how to handle drugs and domestic violence and things like that. And again, they're they're such protectors that I I don't think uh, funneling the money uh, away from their services and their training and their tools is a smart idea. I think continuing to look at what's the most strategic things that need to be learned and where are their gaps in, in what's being taught or what's happening in the community and how can we come around and support them even more? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a, there's a term defund the police, uh, but obviously, uh, you know, a, a bigger term that's been around much longer is uh, Black Lives Matter. Right. So I want to ask you, do, do you believe Black Lives Matter? So here's my question. Are you talking about the organization? Or are you talking about the, the concept or the idea? Just the concept, the idea. Yes. I, in that case, yeah, they do matter. And and all lives matter is really my belief there. Um, I think it's unfortunate the organization has, when I hear that now, I, I think, okay, is that the organization? 
and what they stand for and believe in? Because if you looked at their website, right? Or is it the, the concept? And um, we've got to be conscientious of, of all lives. I guess with the organization, is it just, you know, do you disagree with your tactics or? Yeah, well, the, <laughs> so if you look at what the money goes towards and what they believe in, um, it's it's liberal ideals that I, I don't believe in. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, you know, on the state level, you know, I mean, you know, regardless of where anyone stands, you know, there's a lot of anger and yeah. there's a lot of, you know, you know people being hurt right. by this. On a state level, you know, when you're in office, do you think there should be anything done legislation-wise or even just even conversation-wise that, that should be, you know, that could help address this? Right, coming from the state level. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. And I think for me, continuing to understand how, st- how the state legislature interacts with local um, will be important to know what would be our role there. But I think continually showing support, representing, right? You're representing the needs of your people in your district. And so what they're thinking and feeling needs needs to move its way into the state conversation so that so that we can find more common ground on a topic that's been so volatile. Mm-hmm. So when you when you start next session, you know, what would you tell a voter what your top three priorities would be? Yeah, so definitely COVID economic recovery. We've got to get people back in their jobs. We've got to get businesses open. Um, we've got to get students back in school. Um, so those things, I would like. I'd really like to see broadband expanded. Um, I know there was a bill for a competitive grant to expand broadband. Again, I think we've realized how much we rely on the internet. So rural areas or underserved areas where um, people don't have access to internet. Um, is massive when everyone all of a sudden is working from home and studying from home. So broadband expansion. And also specifically, when I think about my district, I would really like to see the transportation bill passed. And one of the projects on there is that corner in downtown Topeka. When you're going around that corner, this is a super tight curve and you kind of hold your breath. Um, Also, if you're going on the ramp from that area, but it's the Polk Quincy Viaduct. And I would like to uh, be a champion to to see that that it's on the priority for the next two years, but I'd like to help make sure it moves through smoothly. Um, and being that, being that, um, collaborator and facilitator between state and local on that project moving forward. I see. You know, with all, with all of these, um, transportation, you know, infra- or infrastructure projects, you know, they, they cost money. And, yeah. um, especially right now in this, in this, in this, uh, COVID situation, you know, money's tight and everything. Yeah. Um, so, are you saying that you would kind of look at maybe? Do you think that's a? Do you think it's a priority enough where it would maybe mandate shifting money from elsewhere to to improve the infrastructure? Well, uh, it's it's budgeted out in a plan, so I don't know that that would be necessary, but um, it should be a priority. When we look at when you look at the state budget as a whole, it's a very very small slice. So even though we think that's yeah, a lot of money for highways, but um, it also has been proven to grow economic development. So when a company is looking at moving to Topeka or anywhere in Kansas, they look at access. Like, what is what are the roads like? What's the access like? So it's a driver of economic development, and um, those things are important to growing the tax base. Mm-hmm. 
no, you know, as we've mentioned multiple times already, you know, it's you know, very divisive times. Yeah. Um, and you know, if if you do win, if you do win office, um, so you, you you will be working in likely a majority GOP legislator, but mm-hmm. uh, there, but there's also um, a Democratic uh, administration mm-hmm. and Governor Laura Kelly. Uh, so there. Now, obviously, if you guys win the supermajority, GOP wins supermajority, you know, that's a whole different story. But there's also the chance you guys might not win the supermajority. And in that case, you guys would have to kind of compromise with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess on the topic of compromise, um, are there any certain stances or beliefs that you have that you that you, you would tell to a voter saying, you know, these, you know, these, these ideals, I will definitely not compromise at all? Yeah. That's a good question. And I have to, and then I'm thinking, okay, the context, like what would be the bill or what would be, what would be going on? Um, but I think the, the good thing about that is that lawmaking should be hard. It should take compromise and cooperation and it should take, it should take dissent to get to something that actually is going to benefit the majority of the people. So, um, while it's unfortunate that sometimes that can become the spotlight, I think that that ultimately is going to get you to to better outcomes. And so, um, but, you know, I, I shared earlier, I believe life begins at conception. So that's something that's, you can't, um, that's a core belief. But when I think about some of the other things, okay, what's the best solution to a road? Um, it's like, let's listen to different opinions. Let's sit down. And what do we think collectively? Um but that's that that's that collaboration piece that, you know, like you've mentioned, you don't always see that in politics, but that I would really hope to bring to the table. I see. You know, it, it gets in terms of experience. You, you you are, you know, like you said, you, you never run for political office. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, obviously that means you never held political office. Um, so well, why should a voter, you know, look at you, you know, relative, you know, very new to political, you know, scene? And mm-hmm. say, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll trust you enough to put my vote for you. <laughs> well, first of all, um, my opponent has never been in a political office either, but he has run for them so um, and lost. <laughs> so you got options, right? Um, but when I think about what it's going to take to do this, you need someone who is willing to listen to people, is a consensus builder, and I have a proven track record of that. I'm also a businesswoman, so I understand how finances work, how economic works, and um, I'm going to keep that in mind. I'm also a servant leader, so people know I've been involved in the community. I have that heart to want to serve people. And um, ultimately, I have a fresh perspective, right? I don't have baggage from past political years, and I think that's a real benefit Um too, when I think about the diverse perspectives that you need, you know, the average age of the Kansas Senate is 65. So I would bring a fresh new generation perspective to how to problem solve and innovate and be agile in that scenario. And I think voters know that I'm going to, I'm going to listen to them whether they vote for me or not. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to be a collaborator and a consensus builder. And, uh, that's, that's what we need. You know, in terms of the collaboration, you know, I'm curious, you know, if if you're faced with like kind of a certain issue where you know maybe in you and you know you know some people some folks from the opposing side you know are not you know are not you know kind of just just really disagreeing and not having any kind of you know bridge of understanding you know 
suppose say for instance you, know, you say you support Medicaid, but what you know so maybe some of your more conservative Republican opponents who you know who, who think Medicaid is is expansion as a handout, you know. What would you do to try to kind of bridge that gap to make them kind of you know either see your side or maybe you kind of inch closer towards mm-hmm, them to mm-hmm. a compromise? I think seeking to understand right what what's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest challenge? Okay, what what can we find for solutions? I think a lot of times, as I've been studying it this summer and studying both of those perspectives, it's I'm hearing different things. So I hear this and then I hear this and it's like, okay, there must be two ways of looking at this. So let's look at another viewpoint. So I just think that continually seeking to understand where someone's coming from. And it, it might, at the end of the day, it might be a fundamental belief. It might be um, something about the way the policy's worded, right? And so seeking to understand what, what are the biggest issues and okay, you know, that's not such a big deal. How do we inch that further? And this matters to us. So how do we get that going? I think those kinds of conversations need to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, you know, we briefly talked about your opponent, Tobias. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned a lot, you know, of, of your advantages. Um, but I'm curious, you know, just, co- just compared to him, you know, you know, why should voters, you know, not vote for him and vote for you? Yeah. So I have conservative beliefs and values and I always have but I've never been really extreme about them nor involved in the Republican party. Right. And so as I think about him, he's been a part of the democratic apparatus for a long time and even more far left than the, the democratic party here in Kansas. And so it's extreme views uh, versus to me, I bring a more collaborative approach. I've got values. I've got beliefs. Um, You've got to know that I'm going to lean conservative, but I'm here to work with everyone. So uh, every time I hear him speak, he's talking about brown back and he's talking about the past. And I just don't have, I don't have that baggage to bring. I have a collaborative mindset to bring to the table and um, just a more practical down to earth approach. I'm curious, you know, just for the listeners, you know, when you say extreme views, well, you know, I guess what are some examples that you're referring to from your opponent? Yeah. So I'll say, um, I'll let you, uh, you can look at, his Facebook and social media, and you'd be able to see um, some of his liberal views on there. I see. Okay. Um, I'm curious, you know, you know, again, these are very divisive times, so I, I do want to ask, you know, um, you know, uh, kind of just wrapping this up, you know, what's, what's one thing that you like about maybe the, your opponent or the Kansas Democratic Party? <laughs> yeah, so Tobias is a pastor, and I, I do believe he's a man of faith, and I think he cares about our community. He's done a lot of good for our community over the years. And um, I think at the end of the day, he and I both want what's best for the community. It's just how to do that where we differ. And so it's been it's been neat as I talk to people. They're like, you guys are such nice people. You know, so um, even though it's kind of a, a, a comp- competitive environment, um, I think everyone knows that our hearts are in it for the right reasons. Well, Kristen, uh, it's good having you here. We, you know, we thank you for sitting down with us and you know talking with us about you know issues that matter to voters. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening.
listening to this episode. If you're looking for more, you can support local journalism by subscribing to cgonline.com, reading our articles, and following the latest news on our social media platforms. You can also find more podcasts like this one in the Apple Podcasts app, on Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.